Okay, so uh, I'm really excited. We are starting a new series tonight. It's titled Life's Big Questions. And yeah, let's go. And in this series, we're going to be tackling Life's Big Questions. Surprise. Uh, These are questions that I believe everyone everywhere has asked across culture and across time. Questions like, here's a couple. Did someone or something put me here? How do I have a good life? Why is there pain? What is passion and desire and what do I do with it? Is there right and wrong? Why is there pain? I guess we asked that a lot. I wrote it twice. What happens when I die? Uh, And tonight we are addressing this first one. Did someone or something put me here? A lot of times I say things like, I think a lot of you have asked this question, but is it fair to, to just say, you have all asked this question. You have all wondered, why am I here? Uh, you know, chances are you became uh, self-aware, sometime, like truly self-aware, like I am a, I am a being, some, sometime after your first birthday, before you turned two, you actually became self-aware. Isn't that amazing? Um, If you're like most people, you asked about your origin by your six, by right around your sixth birthday. Some people a little earlier, some people, sometime between four and six years old, you're asking about your origin. Uh, You asked your parents the question, uh, where do babies come from? And, I don't know actually if these stats are that legit. It's not that important for the purpose of our conversation. It was on uh, Yahoo Life, so not like a super credible website, but this checks out. This sounds about right. 59% of parents tell it to their kids straight. They're like, hey, this is what's up. This is how babies are made. This is what happens. 24% say when two people love each other very much. And 11% use something like the baby store or the stork. We picked you up at the baby store, right? Uh, Any of your guys' parents, you don't have to answer that. Maybe your parents use that one. Uh, The next question that you asked your parents, if this wasn't shocking enough for your parents, they're like, and they literally knew the answer to this. They know where babies come from. Trust me. What actually reminds me, I think this is okay to share. My wife was a nanny and their kids were like, where do babies come from? And she was like, "Uh, I don't know. She felt like it wasn't her spot. And they said, my dad knows. I was like his line. Uh, my dad knows. Anyways, um, as if like they knew the answer to this question and it was probably still a surprising question. Parents in the room, is it still kind of a hard question when that happened? Julie's like shaking her head yes. But perhaps an even harder question was not where do, where do babies come from? But like literally the question, the deeper question, where did I come from? Right? Uh, This may or may not have been a hard question for your parents to answer, but the truth is, is that some parents are just as stumped as their six-year-old. When when their six-year-old says, why am I here? Where did I come from? Some parents are saying, I do not know. I wish you could tell me, right? This is a question, unlike uh, where do babies come from, this is a question that is up for debate. Um, And so... Uh, 
What you believe, this is a really important question because what you believe about your origin uh, says a lot about how you're going to live your life, right? What you believe about your origin directly impacts the way that you, you're gonna live. Uh, it'll impact everything else you do. You do. Um, do you believe that you were put here on purpose or do you believe that it just sort of happened? Before we can ask the question, did the God of the Bible create me? I think we have to ask the question, does any sort of divine being or force exist? Another way we could phrase this is, is there intelligent design? Uh, and for the next little part of tonight is, is not going to be as much as a sermon as it is going to be teaching and lecture. We're gonna be talking logic. Uh, we're not gonna be pulling in much verses for this first half. It really is more of, um, more of a teaching and more of a logical conversation about, and it's a philosophical conversation. Uh, and I think that that's okay in this message because as we just discussed this summer, we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and what else? Our mind, our muchness, yes, too, that too. I'm like, I, I, anyways, our mind. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. Scientists theorized um, that, that the universe exists. They, first they said the universe exists, therefore it must have began. If something exists, it must have began. And for something to begin, it must have had something to cause it to begin. You see that train of thought? Something exists, it must have began. And for something to begin, there must have been an event that started that. In 1927, a Belgian astronomer theorized that, that this something was an explosion caused by a dense ball of matter. And this explosion caused the universe, it caused space and time. Uh, this is familiar, right? You guys have heard this? It's called what? The Big Bang. The Big Bang. And personally, personally, I'm not so concerned with whether there was a Big Bang or not, right? Sometimes Christians get really caught up. Was there a Big Bang or was there not a Big Bang? If someone proved to me that there was in fact a Big Bang, I wouldn't feel like my faith is shaken at all. I would say, great. That's great, I believe then that God made the explosion happen. Does that make sense? So here's why, here's why I think that there must have been intelligent design before, if there was an explosion, there would still be intelligent design. This is why. When I think of an explosion, I also think of chaos, okay? Not order, a messy room um, doesn't become clean with time, right? A chaotic universe doesn't become ordered by an explosion with zero intent behind it, right? The universe actually requires, I wanna consider our universe first. That's the thing I wanna talk about first. Our universe requires fine tuning. Consider things like the burn rate of, our, of stars. Like, have you ever thought about how stars burn at a certain rate? What if, they were just like super hot and just burned way, way faster than they should, right? They just flamed out. Or um, what about gravity that, that holds our solar system together? What if it was just a little less strong or a little more strong? How about electromagnetic force that holds atoms together, right? Electromagnetic, electromagnetic force, if it was just a little bit different, atoms wouldn't be held together. 
Things would become unraveled. I think about it like this sometimes. There was, um, maybe you guys have heard the watch illustration. This is one that Christians have used a lot. It was like first uh, kind of talked about in like the early 1800s. This guy said, if you're out, you're walking in the wilderness and you step on a rock that's been there for a really long time. And then you see next to that rock, you see a watch. Um, you don't assume that that watch has been there as long as the rock. You don't go like, oh yeah, it's just a part of the natural scene here. You look at the watch and you go, whoa, there must have been a creator to this. To take that illustration a little bit further, um, it's like sometimes when people say there's no intelligent design before it, like you can tell by looking, but they say, well, it's just random chance. You know, like there has been an infinite amount of time and so is, as things mix up and, and as there's like, some people have even theorized, there must be tons and tons of multiverses and we just happen to be in the multiverse uh, with enough time that things have fallen in place and look intelligently designed. And I would just say, if I took that watch and took it completely apart, all the screws and all the gears and the band, and I just took that, the little glass shield and I put it all in a bag and I stood here and I shook it forever and ever. And um, then I was shaking that same bag in, in like thousands and millions of multiverses. I don't think that there truly, I don't think there's a multiverse with enough time to create a watch. That's even with the pieces being like perfectly designed to create a, a watch. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, physicist and by the way, Nobel, Nobel Prize winner, so this guy is pretty legit, says this, intelligent design as one sees it from a very scientific point of view seems to be quite real. This is a very special universe. It's remarkable that it came out just this way. If the laws of physics weren't just the way they are, we couldn't be here at all. The sun couldn't be there. The laws of gravity and nuclear laws and magnetic theory, quantum mechanics, and so on, so on have to be just the way they are for us to be here. And so um, sometimes people may uh, say like, man, intelligent design, it's just not scientific. And yet, like, not to say like, hey, a scientist believes in intelligent design, but like, Science, it is a viable scientific theory. Not only viable, it is a likely scientific theory. And I know we've been talking a little bit about the solar system, the, the Big Bang, but let's just consider, let's zoom way in and just look. I want you guys to consider DNA. We could, we could pick apart God's creation all night long, but there's three I want to pick apart, and this is the second one. Consider something as calm. Francis Crick. Don't consider that yet. Consider something as complex as DNA. Your DNA, it contains instruction needed for an organism. Uh, well, your DNA would be a human, but DNA con contains instruction for an organism to develop. Listen to these three things that it causes. De development, survival, and reproduction. It's, it's not that unlike hardware on a computer, which can copy and process information. When we look at a computer program, what do we automatically assume about a computer program? That it just came about through chat GPT or something. No, <laughs> we go, someone designed this, right? We think someone designed this computer program. That's probably not what most of you think when you see a computer program, but 
Your DNA, DNA, I believe, is like more complex than a computer program. And I wanted to show a video from some people smarter than me. It's only three minutes, but just tune in and see if you can like really track as much of it as you can, okay? In 1957, Francis Crick first proposed that chemicals called bases along the spine of the DNA molecule function as alphabetic characters in a written language or digital characters in a machine code. This animation shows how this digital information directs protein synthesis. First, a large protein complex separates the tightly wound strands of the DNA to prepare it to be copied. During this process of transcription, a protein complex called a polymerase produces a single-stranded copy of the original instructions. Here we see this copy, a messenger RNA molecule, being constructed inside the polymerase as individual bases are positioned and added to the growing strand. Now we see the polymerase in action from the outside as it spits out the messenger RNA transcript. Next, this RNA transcript approaches and passes through a molecular machine called the nuclear pore complex, an information recognition device that controls the flow of information in and out of the cell's nucleus. Now we see the genetic assembly instructions on the messenger RNA approaching and arriving at a two-part chemical factory called a ribosome, the site of protein synthesis. As the messenger RNA transcript passes through the ribosome, the process of translation begins. During translation, a mechanical assembly line builds a specifically sequenced chain of amino acids in accord with the instructions on the transcript. These amino acids are transported from other parts of the cell by molecules called transfer RNAs, which link specific sequences of bases to corresponding amino acids. The sequential arrangement of the amino acids determines the type of protein constructed. When the construction of the chain is complete, it is transported to a barrel-shaped machine that helps fold it into the precise shape required to perform its function. After the chain is folded into a protein, it is released into the outer cytoplasm to do its job in the cell. Was anyone expecting to see Ant-Man? Yeah. yeah, right? You're like, there he is. Okay, um, here's the thing. Where, where did all of the info in our DNA come from? This, this DNA, even like, right, it's transferring all this info, it's building proteins, it's building um, cells, it's doing all this crazy stuff, but where did all of this information come from? Where did all of this computing come from? I would argue, once again, intelligent design. Consider, now next, I want you to consider not just the complexity of the universe or DNA, I want you to consider the complexity of building an animal, okay? Let's talk about the most um, basic animal that exists. It's called the sea, it's called the sea elegans. 
This is a little worm. Um, and this is what Google says about C. elegans. It says, C. elegans is anatomically simple as an adult. C. elegans consists of only, check this out, C, it's simple, yet it only consists of 1,000 somatic cells and 1,000 to 2,000 germ cells. Exactly 959 somat somatic cell nuclei plus 2,000 germ cells. Okay, here's the thing. There's like 3,000 cells within this little animal. Um, guess how many pairs of DNA, right? We were just talking DNA strands. Guess how many pairs of DNA? 100, 100 times 10 to the sixth power, right? That's 100 million base pairs of DNA in this little animal. Um, to be clear, clear, like the cells that are happening in this little worm, uh, they aren't just cells that are there for cells' sake. They aren't just like cancer, right? Reproducing and multiplying cells willy-nilly. These cells that make up the worm, they have a direction. They have an intent. Each cell has an intent. It's a controlled process where all of the cells have a special job. It defies imagination to believe that all of these cells would be functioning um, with a direction by accident. The cells, these cells, they have intent, they have a target. They know where they're going. It's worth noting that um, there are tons of cells that are formed in this little worm uh, that, that help with development. Think of them as like stepping stones in the, in the worm's development that, that do not have function in an adult worm. Right, so a little baby worm as it starts out as like two cells, three cells it's developing, whatever. There are certain cells along the way that have function in the early stage, but not in the later stage. Hey boys up front. Function in the, function in the early stage, but not in the later stage. Why is this important? This is important because natural selection says that organisms respond to what's happening in the moment, like the now. With natural selection, there's no such thing as planning ahead right? It's responding to what's happening in the moment. There's no planning ahead. Natural selection cannot have foresight. It cannot plan ahead. But somehow the cells in this worm, they know the target. They, they can see uh, th these cells have a functional goal. Intelligent design can have a target. There is a trajectory, but natural selection cannot have a target. It only responds to the outside stimuli. Does that make sense? It's like you're pulling back a bowstring, you're aiming at a, 50, a, a target that's 50 yards away, and you want to put the, the, the arrow right in the center of the target, and you need to know why you're aiming and what you're aiming at, and somehow these cells happen to do that. So, in an amazing way, a little worm that's only a millimeter long that, you, that we pull out of a compost pile carries the indication of design. Can you imagine um, the amount of planning and intent found in the making of a baby. Like over the course of nine months, can you imagine how many cells with direction are like happening in that moment? Uh, next, I want you to consider this, uh, humanity. Uh, we are not just like souped up apes, right? Humans are the only primates that always walk upright. For, for the evolutionary stage to jump from like not always walking upright to always walking upright, there are six, 16 evolutionary things that would need to happen. 
just for that one thing. And yet we do not even see like, we don't, we don't see any evolutionary stages going from like not always walking upright to always walking upright. That's just walking. Humans, like, right, uh, we are pretty much hairless and we wear clothing. Um, we're the only species that uses fire and, and technology. There might be some, I actually think I've seen some of like other species using like forms of technology. They build little things, but like technology. Monkeys aren't running PowerPoints, right? <laughs> Humans are the only species that compose, compose music, write poetry, and practice religion. They are also the only species that seeks to investigate the natural world through science. When it comes to morality, Wesley J. Smith says this, we are unquestionably a unique species, the only species of even contemplating ethical issues and assuming responsibilities. We uniquely are capable of apprehend, apprehending the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, proper and improper conduct. And if you like, just think of the complexity of language, listen to what, um, I guess your name is Noam. Okay, Noam uh, Chomsky says, uh, human language appears to be a unique phenomenon without significant analog in the animal world. There is no reason to suppose that the gaps are bridgeable. I could like go on and on about proof for intelligent design. These are just like a handful, right? We talked about the universe, DNA, the makeup of animals, the humanity. Um, but the next logical question is if there's intelligent design, then who did it, right? Like we see proof of intelligent design, who did it personally? This is where I wanna make a step into, we're going from like, a philosophical conversation into, this is like a little more sermony. But this is where um, I just wanna talk a little bit about what I, what I personally believe. I personally believe that this intelligent designer is the God of the Bible. And I don't think it's just based on um, personal experience. I actually think there's good reason to believe this. And I'm gonna throw three at you tonight. If someone were to come up to me and say, hey, you believe in intelligent design, great. I also believe that someone or something made us why do you believe it's the God of the Bible? These are just a few um, ways that I would respond. The first one is this. Um, the Bible answers why there's flaws in the design. It gives us a clear explanation for why there's flaws in this design. If there's an intelligent creator, uh, if there's intelligent design, then why is it messed up? Why are, if, if something so powerful, something so creative made all of this, why are there flaws in it? Flaws like um, deformities, mutations, um, but also like pain and, and different things like that. What's with the flaws? I think that the Bible gives us actually a really clear explanation for flaws in the design. It's found in Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Adam and Eve, if you didn't know this, God created them. There wasn't a flaw in the design. Nothing was wrong. And then Adam and Eve, um, they sinned. They, they disobeyed God. They followed their own way, broke relationship with him. And, and God had to distance himself from humanity. He had to distance himself from his creation. And, and there was a curse, right? Adam said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall spring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread 
till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So Adam and Eve sinned against God, death and decay entered the world. Romans, uh, the book of Romans actually talks about this. It says that all of earth now is groaning. It's looking for things to be made right. It's, it's looking for this um, complex design for things, the flaws to be removed. And so that's one reason that I believe, like that's one reason that leads me to believe like that the God of the Bible is a really reasonable God because it offers, it offers a solution to um, the, the, the flaws in the design. That's just one. The next one would be this. The Bible gives us a compelling vision for how we're to operate as God's creation. Um, a little while ago, I talked to a former student of mine and he was like, hey dude, I just wanna say like, thanks for being my youth pastor. It really meant a lot to me. You changed my life in a lot of ways. You were like a mentor to me and like, you always had thought-provoking messages. And I was thinking like, this is really good. I like these compliments, this is cool. And then he said, um, like, when I was in college, I started questioning my faith. And then I just started like living however I wanted to live. So I started living like the rest of the people around me. And he said, I went from living like a good life, a really good, like healthy, my, my mental space was really clear. I was feeling really good. But I went to living like a life where I felt like depressed. The things that I was chasing weren't filling me up. And so uh, what I've done is actually I've decided I'm going to live as if God is real um, and I'm just going to follow everything that the Bible says. Uh, but I still don't believe that God's real. I just know that when I follow the Bible, my life is better. And I've, I've, I still count him a dear friend. I still like, we still are having conversation, but I gotta be honest, my first thought was, was, was bro. Like, listen to what you're saying. The Bible, um, it's almost like in someone with an, with, that made us had a part in writing it. It's almost like the person that created us knows how we should function and, and, and move and walk about in the world. Like, isn't that, is that not compelling to you? That when you follow the Bible, like you're, you're, it's like you're operating in the correct way. It's like you're not going against the grain of the universe. It's like things like your mental space and your emotional health and your well-being like are being taken care of. And what, I'm not, what I'm not saying is like when you follow God, everything's great. But like you read in Proverbs, like here are wise ways of living. And if you follow them, like your life there's, the chances are your life will be better. Here's how you should operate as part of um, a design. Like you were made and therefore you're made to operate in a certain way. Does that make sense? And I would say like when I look at scripture, when I have leaned in and really lived it, like it feels like I'm operating within my design. And so that's another reason that I would say the God of the Bible is a really compelling one. Romans 1, 18 through 20 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So what's this saying? It's saying like that, that people that are living against God's design, that there's, there's almost part of them that's suppressing the truth. Like they know that they, know that, that they can feel like there's a part of them that's, that's their conscience that's going like, this isn't the way things were meant to be. This isn't the way I was designed to live. And so they suppress the truth. Have, like, again, not show of hands, but like we've all done that a little bit, right? We've gone like, I know that I, something doesn't feel right about it, but I want it, and so I'm gonna do it, right? This is that suppressing of the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. And so this is a little bit of what I talked about at the beginning, is that, is that you can see God and his attributes and his eternal um, power and his divine nature in creation, right? And then not just, can you, not just that you can see him in creation, not just that you can see that there is that there's a creator, but I, I just have to go back to that first part, that there is a truth, there is a morality, there is a way we should live, and that you can be suppressing that there's an intelligent designer, and at the same time, you can be, um, you can be suppressing that he knows what's best for you. And so, um, God makes himself plain. We all know, like, for instance, that the Ten Commandments are wrong. We know this intrinsically. Um, when we go against God's vision for our life laid out in scripture, we struggle. And so um, the third thing that makes the God of the Bible um, compelling and, and that helps him stand out to me among others, above others, is that the God of the Bible uh, just stands out among other intelligent design concepts. And I wanna hit on a few of those because I think if I walk through just like some of what the alternatives are, you'll go like, yeah, the God of the Bible is a compelling God. Um, so first I wanna talk about like ancient, um, ancient origin stories, right? Because the Bible is an ancient origin story. And so what about like the Bible's peers, so to speak? Like what about the, the stories that were floating around at the time that the Old Testament was written? Here's the thing, the other stories that were floating around like Mesopotamian myths, uh, they, they have one reoccurring concept when it comes to creation, which is this, humanity's purpose is to like serve and be just like waiters and, and housekeepers for the gods. Listen to what, this is what the Met Museum says uh, about the Babylonian myth of Marduk. Marduk creates humans for two reasons. First, in order to release gods from their burdensome and menial labors. And second, to provide a continuous source of food and drink to the temples. So ancient Babylonians were like, hey, we believe there was uh, intelligent design. We just think like, that we're like their servants. Like that we just like, um, and not like, I know New Testament says that we're slaves of Christ, but I'm not talking like that. I just mean like the main reason the gods created us is just like to be housekeepers, right? To make life really legit and easy. But the God of the Bible gives us a different um, story. Um, we're told that the God of the Bible created us not just as servants and slaves, but he actually created us in his image. That he created us to be co-rulers and co-creators. Scripture is the only ancient myth in which humanity is given dignity, where the gods didn't just create humanity to step on, but the gods created humanity to share um, in the authority and in, and in creation. Check this out. Um, this is, this, we have a God that said like, I don't just want to rule you, I want you to, I want to rule you and I want you to rule with me. I want you to partner with me in creation. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, then God said, let's make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I believe that the God of scripture is more compelling than any other God. And there really aren't like, there really aren't many other modern creator deity religions. There's like, 
I think there's like 17 that are that are say there's one God. And if you say if you include religions that say there's one God and you include religions that say there's multiple gods, I think there's only like 30. So monotheism would be what was one God. Polytheism is multiple gods. There's only like 30. I know that maybe sounds like a lot. To me, that sounded actually not like many options. If you're going to a buffet, I'm like, 30 options isn't that much. When I've looked into these other options, they just aren't that compelling to me. Every other religion says that we have to work to get to God. Scripture doesn't say that we work to get to God. It says that God came down to us in human form. The gospel is this, that God created us to be co-rulers, to live on earth with him, to rule over the, the land and the earth and all the animals of the air and the sea. But we decided to go against our design. We decided to, um, to pretend that we designed ourselves and that we knew better than God. And because of our sin and because of God's perfect justice, he couldn't be with that. And no matter what we could do to try to earn ourselves, earn our way back, to try to build a bridge back to God, we couldn't do it. We couldn't be good enough. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who, who did live the perfect human life, who lived the way that humans were designed to live. He was the only one that did it perfectly. And because he did it perfectly, he was able to pay the price. He was able to fulfill God's justice because when something wrong happens, God can't just let it slide. God had to fulfill his justice. And so he poured out his wrath on his only son. And because he did that, we now, we have taken on um, Jesus has taken on our sin so that we can take on his righteousness. We can be adopted into the family of God and we can have eternal life that starts now and lasts forever. This is in contrast to the other creator deity or deity religions. Consider, um, I've, I was just looking up on some uh, Islam, uh, Muslim religion websites looking at Islam. And this is not, I'm not looking to have a cheap shot at other religions, but they really do believe that you have to work to get to God, not that God worked to get to us. And this is uh, just out of the Quran. It says um, that everyone, just look at the last sentence. Anyone that does all of these things, they will be heirs who inherit paradise. They will dwell there forever. Even on this website, when I was reading into it, it was saying like, it was saying that Allah is gracious because he lays out clearly how to get to heaven, Right? It's like his version of grace is, hey, if you do these things, you'll get to heaven. And so they said, it's, he's full of grace to not leave us wandering, wondering how to get there. And I would say that that's gracious, but what about a God that says like, this is perfection, and I know you're gonna mess up, but I'm gonna send my son to die for you, to provide a way for you to enter into heaven, and all you have to do is accept him and then live for him, right? It's not like we accept that free gift and then live um, like hell, it's like we accept that free, free, free gift and then we enter eternal life and we start functioning the way we are meant to function. Um, or if you consider the Jewish faith, right? These are still um, people who are awaiting a savior and a king. Like they're still, they still are waiting for Jesus to come. They don't know that Jesus has come and paid the price so that we can be in right relationship with God. But we know through scripture, as I already said, that for our sake, he made him sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And it says in Hebrews 4.15 that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. We have a God that doesn't just create us and sit up in the clouds and wait for us to mess up and send us to hell. We have a God that climbed down in human skin. He lived the human experience um, he knows our struggle and he lived the perfect life. 
I wanna look just for a moment at the LDS faith. Again, this is not meant to be a cheap shot. This is just what they believe. Uh, out of the Book of Mormon says, for we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all that we can do. We're saved after we work our hardest and just like work and work and work. Robert Millet says, we must work to our limit and then reply upon the merits, mercy and grace of the Holy One. And this was Apostle LeGrand Richards who said, Jesus Christ redeemed uh, all from the fall. He paid the price. He offered himself as a ransom. He atoned for Adam's sin. So far, so good. Leaving us responsible only for our own sins. Wow, thank you so much. All we have to deal with now is our sins. No, this, like this just is not, like I know, I always say to people like, hey, I understand that you believe um, these things. And I actually respect a lot of elements out of these religions, but I just have to humbly say like, for me, I know I'm not good enough. I know I could never make it. I know I could never be good enough to get to heaven. It's just not going to happen. And so I need Jesus' death to pay for me and I need the Holy Spirit to fill me and I need to be empowered to live the way that God has designed me to live. And I can't do it all on my own strength. And so um, outside of the creator deity religions, uh, there's a few other ideas that just are not all that compelling to me. They're, and they're kind of like out there. Like some people believe that aliens have put us here as an experiment. Um, and I would just say like, uh, what sort of, mortal being could be that powerful and creative like and also like it's just not compelling for me to think like yeah i'm in a petri dish and they're like checking it out some people would say like it's a simulation and i would just say no um and so um what does this mean for all of us right if we believe in the god of the bible is that intelligent creator um i believe it has these two implications don't you want to get to know this kind of God? Don't you want to get to know a God that would step down and care for you? That, don't you want to get to know a God that created you with intent and purpose and design? A God that loves you, didn't just create you and leave you, but he gave up his only son for you. He has a plan and a design for your life. If this is all true, don't you want to know who this creator God is? I would encourage you to seek him with curiosity. Jeremiah 29, 13, God's talking to, to the nation of Israel, but I believe that this can be true for us too because James 4, 8 says the same thing. Um, it says, you will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Um, and the rest of James 4, 8 actually says, come to him um, with clean hands. It says that we come to him not on our own terms, but we come to him on his terms. And if we come near to him in that way, he'll come near to us. And so I would just encourage you, seek this God out, get close to his people, get close to his Bible, get close to him. Second thing I think it leads us to do is to trust and follow his design. Trust and follow, if we get to know him, get to know this God and then trust and follow his design. Psalm 19, seven through nine says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. If God made you, don't you want to know how he made you and what he made you for? And this is gonna be next week's sermon. We're answering the question, how do I live a good life? 
In other words, how did God make me to live and function in this world? How do I operate? If someone made us, that means that he knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And so we don't wanna try to live our own way, we want to live his way. It can be really hard to submit to his design, but it's also freeing. Aren't you so glad that you don't have to know how to, how to operate your own life? That we have a creator who, who knows for us. Um, Lord, we wanna thank you for creating us with intent and purpose. God, we wanna thank you um, for the, for says in scripture that you know the, the numbers of hairs in our head, God. You know us intimately, you love each one of us. God, you, save, you saved us. Um, and God, we wanna live for you. We don't believe that this free gift gives us a get out of jail free card to do whatever we want. No, we believe that because we've been adopted into your family, we now can operate in a different way. And so I pray as we have this conversation um, that we would be compelled, Lord, to follow your design, not our, our own idea for our life. We love you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.